0: Good morning, everybody. I am Glenn the Geek in Ocala, Florida.
2: And I'm Jamie Jennings in Norman, Oklahoma, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for December 5th, episode 2070, brought to you by Horselovers.com. Good morning, Horse World.
3: Big Wednesday. The day you face your own biggest challenge. The day you risk it all. The day you either distinguish yourself or fade into the crowd.
4: Hang on, we're hitching a ride. Daddy, I
1: want another pony. I put 40 hours in this weekend, man, it's only Wednesday. I've been cussing this damn heat all day long, there's got to be another way. Why so I pick up my guitar and I write a song.
0: Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on the world's leading podcast about horses. You know, there's a certain peril, and I have experience with this uh, with Wendy. There's a certain peril when you take horses in a parade. Would you agree with that? Any parade? I feel
2: like... Just nothing good can come out of it.
0: <laughs> we tried to do the horse parade when we lived in Lexington, Kentucky, and Dr. Wendy lived there, and she had driving horses and competitive horses at that point, point. and we tried to do the horse parade, parade in Georgetown. They have one every year in Georgetown, Kentucky, right above Lexington. And it's all horses. But the problem is, it also goes literally right through the fair. So you have all of the, the of the food stands and the gaming booths and all that on either side, and you go down the middle of it.
2: It's a challenge. Yes. That's what you're
0: saying. <laughs> it's a challenge. But hundreds of horses successfully do it. We did not successfully <laughs> do it.
2: Oh, That's right. Didn't we some had, disastrous galloping happen?
0: Yes, we had, uh, not only, I think we had four hooked up, uh, if I remember right. And we're, mm-hmm. we're in the carriage, and fortunately she had her boyfriend at the time along, who was, a, who was a driver also. And the two front horses, once we got into the crowds, they lost their cookies. And started rearing and heading toward the crowd. You should have seen the crowd scatter. When you got four horses heading towards you in a carriage, you scatter. So we, he managed to jump out and get them under, get them under control but they were not having anything of that parade and there was a side road right there i said wendy let's go to the side road well there was people lined up all along it and and i just started yelling get out of the way we're coming down the side road i have never seen a group of people move so fast their chairs their kids everything kids screaming and we hit that side road at a very fast trot and then headed down that side road and out of the parade route because it was we hadn't even hit the stands yet where all the food stuff was. (laughs) uh,
2: This is the worst, to be in the back of a horse pulling a carriage and they lose their mind. And then you multiply that by four. Four. That's insane.
0: And we had our banner for the horse radio network. (laughs) You're like, take it off, take off the banner. (laughs) Jennifer was back there. And I think at one point I said hide the banner, get in front of the banner. (laughs) (laughs) But anyway, uh, there were, you know, the Lexington Police Department has horses, and we've all seen them. Uh, You see them at at Land Rover every year, at Rolex every year, you see them there. Well, they were on their way to the Lexington Christmas Parade in Kentucky, and a horse named Yoder, 17 years old, well, one of the things, you know, you expect spooking of the crowds and bands, and they always put the horses right in front of the band, right? I mean, that always happens. So, uh, you don't expect one of the police horses and this was name was yoder to fall in a hole in the road and get his foot stuck
2: in the pavement
0: yes apparently there was like a utility pipe and you see those with the little lids on top of them and well the little lid wasn't on top and the horse stepped right into it and his shoe got caught in the pipe Oh, my God. So they had to call the fire department, three veterinarians. The and They also called the divisions of street and roads. And get this. They set up one of those A-frames, you know, like you're taught to do, and then you take the weight off the horse, and they suspend the horse. And everything. But his foot was stuck, and the shoe was stuck in the pipe. They had to chip the road away. They had to cut the road out and pull the entire pipe out of the roadway around the horse's leg. They tranquilized the horse, put it on its side, and that's how they managed to get the shoe and the foot out of the pipe. That was a dramatic scene that lasted hours, like three hours to do this.
2: That is crazy. So what was happening in the parade? Did anybody I, I leave? It about doesn't them? say,
0: I'm assuming the parade went on. I don't know if they'd gotten to the parade yet. I think they were on the way to the parade and they hadn't gotten into the parade yet. So I don't think it was on the parade route. From the pictures I saw, it didn't seem to be like massive crowds right behind them. It was taken to Root and Riddle, and x-rays revealed his leg was not broken. He's eating fine. He stayed overnight just for monitoring, and the officer is fine, too. So both officers are fine. Everybody's fine. <laughs> but a little excitement in Lexington last night.
2: That's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy.
0: <laughs> anyway, Jimmy, what is coming up on today's show?
4: Well... Hopefully a lot of stuff that's equally as exciting, guys. <laughs> On today's show, in our Horse Health Report, we catch up with Olympic gold medalist inventor, who I doubt ever had that problem, Tad Coffin. As he talks to us about the latest in smart saddle tech, we'll give you the full unedited interview with Peggy Rowe that you got a bit of during Radiothon. Auditor Chelsea comes through with a product review of some really cool socks. Glenn brings us a uh, loser of the week, not a closer of the week, a loser of the week. And then we talk toys for Crappy List Wednesday. So you don't want to miss any of it. It's going to be a packed show as always today, guys. And speaking of today, today is International Ninja Day. And I don't think anyone will be more excited than my own son, Jordan, who is convinced he is learning to become a ninja in his new Taekwondo class. So he'll be thrilled when I tell him what day it is mm-hmm. on the way there tonight. I can't wait.
0: <laughs> nice. By the way, I've seen pictures of him in his little—I don't know what are they called—the bathrobe things they wear. Gee.
4: gee. gee. Yeah, gee. Yeah. Well, he looks gee. really cute in his
0: little gee. All the little ones look really cute. that's
4: He's swimming in it. He's so tiny. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it's Way not, too big for.
0: Well, him. <laughs> he's supposed to build muscle and grow into it. So that—that that, oh, let's hope this that is is happens. <laughs> Gold. <laughs> Well, my Daily Winnie, we have a birthday or two today. So, the birthday wishes to Auditor Scott and Ann. Happy birthday to both of you. And, boy, my birthday list of the friends I have on Facebook was about 50 long today. This was a popular day uh, for having <laughs> kids. And I also want to mention, do you remember Chris Kermitzos? He called in on Radiothon Day and talks to us every yes. Radiothon. Well, his wife—let me tell you this story real quick, and it's public because she, they posted it everywhere. Um, so, you know what? how— traumatic giving birth was and how painful that was yeah so really quickly chris everybody seems to know him now for on our shows because he calls in and he's the one that directed the movie we were in well his wife had the second child she was going to have a natural childbirth in the water tank thing why
2: why Go I, ahead.
0: well no this even gets better so <laughs> oh jamie just just wait <laughs> so she calls the midwife and says i think my contractions are close enough i need to come and she said, "Well, come on over, and we'll get the thing started." She got to the door of the house, and her water broke, and the contractions were coming really quickly. And she said, "I'm not making it out this door. I need to go back to the bedroom." They, t- it was her mother and Chris, the husband, there. So they take her back to the bedroom. Well, things were coming very quickly. They were on the phone with the midwife. The paramedics were on the way, and she had the baby within minutes. So no, oh, nobody. My. <laughs> God no, no sedation, no painkillers, nothing. And who was there was her husband and her mom, and they delivered the baby.
2: Oh, my God.
0: How <laughs> would Chad have done with that, by the way? Um,
2: so. well, I mean there's a there's a similar story with a a fighter pilot husband that he You know she's in in labor and the contractions. He's like, we've got time, we've got time. Start running errands, and then they get stuck in traffic. And he just like didn't take it seriously. And he had to deliver his own baby in their car because he was such a jackass that he wouldn't take her to the hospital. You're not close enough to you know. Had the baby in the car on the side of the road. So I feel like. I, I I'm sure Chris wasn't as big of a jerk as this guy <laughs> was. But why didn't they go earlier? I don't know. Oh, she apparently God. made that
0: call. That was on her. And she's a tough cookie. So I think well, she... she's
2: one of those. <laughs> I, I'm going to have no pain, med- no,
0: no, well, she didn't. no
2: pain medication. I'm going to deliver it <laughs> in a tub of water. What kind of idiot does that? I'm sorry. Congratulations on your new baby. <laughs> That's wonderful.
0: She's tough. Lovely. a cute baby, by the way. So congratulations to both of them. I'm very happy for them.
2: Mm-hmm. my turn. <laughs> my daily winnie goes out to one of our auditors listeners and now my friend mary Calkins. she was in texas and she lives in texas and was making her way north and so she came by the farm yesterday oh, and yeah. for those keeping track family members that's the first person to come visit me at my new farm
0: you mean none <laughs> of the family that live there have come
2: Oh, of course, they have come. Oh, okay. They live a mile away. But like say. my family, no, my nobody's come to visit. My kid his new home and a couple of you know, nothing. So anyway, I finally had my I fr- know my friends have come to visit. So my uh, first not coming ever.
0: till winter is over. Wait a minute. That's tornado season. I'm not coming. So
2: you know what? I don't remember <laughs> inviting you. <laughs> <laughs> but Mary came and she was delightful and I gave her a tour and she got to meet Zeus and Chili and, and we went on a on a little Gatorade. She got the, the full future barn tour. And we're um we have talked a lot about doing some clinics here once everything is built and you know, because of the certification and all that. So I can do certain clinics and I'm really excited about the future. She's like, I'm signing up first. So I'm excited.
0: And she lives like way up north, doesn't she?
2: No, she lives in Texas.
0: Oh, she lives in Texas. Okay,
2: yes, I, somewhere. Well,
0: somewhere that's really cool. You had company, and the I barn, did. And the pictures of the barn look like it's going. Got wall, you got the the framing up, and it looks like a roof might be going on soon.
2: Apparently, we get roof today in our new barn, so I'm very excited to. Considering it's supposed to snow here, I think Friday, Thursday, and Friday a roof would be nice.
0: I mean. <laughs> Is it, uh, now, is it, how many stalls are in this barn? I was trying to, I couldn't tell from the pictures.
2: So it's a Morton barn, and you walk in, and I designed everything. Uh, so you walk in, and there's four stalls on your right. One is a folding stall, and there's a tack room, feed room on your left, which is the same size as a folding stall across the way. And then there's three stalls on the left, so seven total stalls.
0: I'm surprised building codes allow you to build a stick building out there. I, I would thought with tornadoes and all, they would everything would have to be concrete block.
2: Oh, these things are concreted into the ground.
0: I did see that. that It does look like you have some – and there's like 55 – it looked like 55 posts into the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, it's amazing. Yeah, it did look like that. All right, our first guest is ready. You want to take him? Of course
2: I do because – I don't mean to geek out. I'm going to try to be cool, but like as an eventer – there's there's nobody cooler than Tad Coffin, an American eventer who won two gold medals in the '76. first American ever to win the gold in the eventing, and he is on the phone right now. Good morning, Tad. Good morning. Thank you so nice. much. It's for nice here.
1: to speak with you both.
2: Oh, my gosh. I'm so excited to talk to you, too. Where in the world are you? Are you in Vermont?
1: No, ma'am. I am in uh, Rutgersville, Virginia, which is just north of Charlottesville. A beautiful it's thomas jefferson's country it's just stunningly beautiful
2: i bet it is i bet it's really lovely Well before we get to talking about the saddle and the fact that you're a movie star um tell me a little bit about what what the holidays are like for you and your family
1: uh you know we have four children and they are scattered around the country so this is uh this is a time of year where we talk a lot, but we won't necessarily see them until just before Christmas. And a couple of them will be able to get back here and, and uh, one or two of them won't. But um, we'll catch up at some point during the holidays, I'm sure. Uh, but it's uh, you know, it's a very, it's just a lovely time in Virginia. It's, it's, we've got some yeah. snow outside at the moment, which is the first snow of the year. And uh, it's feeling very festive.
2: I'm sure. Now I was told by a mutual friend of ours because you have spent some time with Monty Roberts and Debbie Laux is his daughter. And she was telling me that you absolutely adore your personal horses. Do you ride on Christmas with your family or do you just take a day off?
1: No, I typically typically don't ride on Christmas Day because there's too much going on, but I ride every day up until then. And I pick right up afterwards. So, uh, but, but Christmas day, I, I probably won't because family and well, food and all that kind of
0: stuff. <laughs> Important <laughs> things. Family and food.
2: Family and food. Maybe yeah, a food glass food. of wine here. <laughs>
1: exactly.
2: Well, great. No, yep. I, I did want to talk to you. You spent some time out at Monty's farm this summer, and I do believe that I, I'm a, a certified instructor for for Monty's concepts. And, and so right. I, I I did Perfect. want to hear a little bit about your kind of enthusiasm for the Julie Halter and for his, his techniques and stuff.
1: I, I think Monty Roberts is a genius. And what I appreciate so much about his work is that it's totally authentic? You know, there's 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 no gimmickry, there's no tricks, there's no um, there's nothing but uh, but great horsemanship built on years of observation and and an understanding of the language of horse, and I think that um, you know that's it's it's a remarkable thing to witness. And we had the the opportunity not only of working with him in California, but going over to England with him to work with some of the Queen's young horses that he starts every year. And that was a you know that was an a, an additional extraordinary opportunity. And uh, the Dooley halter, I think, is perhaps one of the best and most sympathetic inventions for horse owners that exists anywhere. You know, if I, I always tell people if I was stuck on an Island somewhere with a group of horses and just, uh, limited equipment, I would have a dually halter and I would have my saddle and that would, that would allow me to carry on and I would be just fine.
4: Oh so, my gosh.
1: Uh, I, I just, I just think the, the world of what he does. And, and, uh, one of the things I think is remarkable about him is that it, at, at 83, he's, continues to just do what he does you know he's been in europe since uh, i don't know the middle of october um and or 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 earlier and he's just you know every day he's working with 12 14 horses or he's giving a demonstration and you know to to have that kind of energy enthusiasm stamina and and love for what he's doing is a is something for all of us to emulate so I'm, i'm a huge fan of his
2: Well, seeing that I said that you won the gold medal in 1976, you are—you're certainly not in your 80s, but you're in your 60s, and you're still riding every day, and you're still doing everything. Talk to us about the importance of your saddle and the science behind it.
1: Oh, that's a big subject. Um, (laughs) (laughs)
5: Sorry,
1: I'll—I'll—I'll give it—I'll give it a whirl. So, um, one of the um, you know, I have been involved with saddles ever since 1976. I did a, an endorsement with a company called Miller's Harness right after the Olympic Games, and we came up with a saddle called the Lexington TC um, that had a great commercial run. And then after that, I worked with them again on a saddle called the Equilibrium. So, you know, my, my history with saddles goes back 40-some-odd years. I started dabbling in my own research and development in 1992 because I was after something that was better. Um, I've I've always believed that saddles have missed out on the the R and D um, loop. They they just haven't progressed forward the same way tennis rackets, skis, um, other sports equipment have. So I was on a on a started a quest to see if I could come up with something better. And that was precipitated by having an experience with a, with some tinkering that I did with a saddle and I made all of my horses go very badly. And I thought that <laughs> oh, if yeah. it's possible to make all of the horses, you know, if it's possible to make them all go very badly, then is it possible to figure out something else and have them all go very well? So that started it. And here we are 25 years later. And in that 25 years, years, we have run concurrently a a small boutique manufacturing operation and the most extensive research and development work with saddles that has ever been done in the history of saddles. And to that end, we have made over 4,000 experiments in 25 years, which which boils down to be an experiment every other day, seven days a week, 365 days a year for 25 years. I have applied the sort of the focus of an Olympian um, on this task of improving saddles. And we have at one end of a barn, uh, a manufacturing and research and development facility, if you will, which occupies the space of six stalls. And at the other end, we have five horses that have dedicated their lives to giving us feedback on um, on all of these experiments that we've made, and you would think that in the in the course of saddle history, that this effort would have been done someplace else, that you know some equestrian organization would have sponsored some kind of long term study on saddle development, but it's never been done before. So and so it's, it's sort of wide open. So and what, these horses we manage very if I can just finish the this oh, idea oh, of the horses. Okay. So the horses we manage very carefully so that the only variable in their life is the weather and the experiment that we're making. So they don't get any drugs. They don't get any injections. They don't get any supplements. They, they are totally clean horses. They go in exactly the same. All of them go in the same bri- bridle. They all go in a stri- plain snaffle. Um, they all go in the same saddle. Some changes of padding, but the same the, the the same saddle. I ride them in a field that has undulating ground, so they're not in a beautifully groomed ring. Uh, and their response to whatever experiment we happen to be making is what guides the whole process forward. So it's a very horse-centric process that after 25 years and all these experiments has given us a lot of learning about what horses really need from a saddle. And it's, I I would say that the results are counter to the current narrative, which is quite fascinating.
2: So tell us about the saddle and kind of what you've learned and what's so important uh, I guess tell us tell us about the saddle because I, I'm reading about it and it's hard for me to try to explain. So you do it. You're the pro.
1: Sure, <laughs> sure, absolutely. So one of the most important pieces of data that we learned over all of the four thousand experiments is that at no time did our population of horses diverge in their opinion on an experiment. I mean, let me say that again, because it's really important. So we've got 4,000 experiments going on. We've got a group of horses that, that are, you know, they're, they're totally clean. They're uh, no drugs, no supplements, no chiropractic, no acupuncture, no therapies, nothing, right? They respond to our experiments. And never once in the process of doing these experiments did the population split in their opinion on something really? that we had done.
2: It never
1: happened that two horses said, we like what you did, and two horses said, we don't like what you did. Wow. That's a fascinating fascinating thing. So what does that that tell us? To me, it tells us that there is something universal about what horses are looking for in a piece of equipment. Mm -hmm. And the way that we test the saddles is by how the horses go. It's subjective. It's, you know, it's my opinion of whether this horse is going freer or moving better or more relaxed or, you know, n- moving through his shoulders better or able to carry himself. But, you know, I, I think I'm qualified to give that opinion. So I'm not, I'm not going to shrink away from, from the fact that it's subjective. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's just never happened that the horses were splitting in their opinion. So I'm persuaded that all horses are looking for something very common in a saddle. And the reason I say that is because, and it makes sense, if you think about how saddles are thought of in, in this day and age. So typically when, when we fit, and I put that in quotation marks, um, horses to saddles, it's done when they're standing still on the cross ties. Mm-hmm. You know, that we look at their back in a static posture. And horses, when you pull them out and you look at their backs, they all look like they're different. So certainly it's perfectly logical to say, well, this one needs something different than that one. But when you put horses in motion and you look at horses that are going well, and it doesn't matter whether they're a dressage horse or a hunter or, you know, horses have the same essential needs physiologically in terms mm-hmm. of locomotion and movement so if we look at 15 horses going in a ring or or moving somewhere most people will agree that horse is going well that horse is going well that one's not that one's not and and there's something that's very apparent about the horses that are going well horses that are going well look like they're relaxed horses that are going well look like they're Listening to their riders, and there's a lot of harmony there. horses that are going well are moving freely they're carrying themselves in a sort of a rounded manner whether it's more collected or less collected they're they're in a rounded outline and this applies to horses of all kinds so in other words, we never look at a horse who's got his his head up in the air, his eyes rolling in his in his head, his ears pinned, taking short, nappy steps. Uh, Steps looking like he's very resistant, and say, Well, that horse is going well. Never mm-hmm. happens. No. So, what I'm suggesting is that there's a commonality. When you put horses in motion, there's a commonality. So, is it possible that instead of trying to customize saddles to the way a horse stands on the cross tie, what we really need to do is engineer saddles to respond to the needs of the horses back in ideal motion and that's i think what we have been doing and i think that that's given us a very different approach and a very different narrative at the end so we can take this saddle that's not customized for any horse and have it respond to horses extraordinarily well because it meets their needs in motion Mm
3: -hmm. Fascinating.
6: Let me break
1: that, let, let me break that down one, one more one more time because I think that this is so important. If you take a horse and you're on a circle to the left at the trot and you want to make a canter depart, in order for that horse to make a beautiful canter depart, that horse and all other horses need to do the same thing physiologically in order to execute that canter depart in okay. an ideal fashion. Mm -hmm. They have to lift through their withers. They have to bring their inside hind leg more underneath them. They have to have a certain bend, a certain shape in their body. And if you watch a hundred horses do a canter depart on a circle to the left from the trot, you would find that all of the horses that did it well were able to execute it because they all did physiologically the same gesture. So that gesture requires something of both the rider And of the saddle. So if the saddle, when the horse is trying to make this lovely gesture, is creating pain, the horse is not going to make that gesture. He's going to find some other way to get into the Canada part. And it's going to be more resistant. So if we designed a saddle that understood the, the mechanics or the gesture of the ideal Canada part, and we made sure that it accommodated that, Would then it make it more possible for many more horses to make beautiful canter departs? I I believe that that's the case. Mm -hmm. I think that if you 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 try to fit saddles to horses by filling in negative space on a on a in a static model, you're not engineering it to accommodate that gesture. And you know that's just one gesture. There's a gesture of a transition from from canter back to trot or from trot to walk. And all of these motions are dynamic gestures right this it's 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 a posture in motion so sure. what's been missing to me is an understanding of the the needs of the horse's back in motion and if you watch a horse's back in motion in on a video from sort of up and 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 behind it's a complicated motion there's a lot going on there mm-hmm. both in terms of macro movement and micro movement and the engineering, you know, if you were to, to, just in, in terms of engineering terms, look at a horse's back and say, you know, from, from an engineer's standpoint, what is the spine doing? And then what are all the ligaments doing? And then what are all the muscles doing? It's very complicated. And the same thing with a rider. You take a human, you know, from an engineering standpoint, a human is a very complex engineering structure. Look at most, most saddles. They are in from an engineering standpoint, they are back in the caveman era. You know, there's nothing specific about the engineering in a saddle that would allow it to accommodate or correspond to the engineering sophistication of the horse below it or the rider above it. So okay. what we've tried to do is bring bring that kind of engineering into the saddle.
2: And is that what you have created with this Smart Ride RX?
1: The Smart Ride RX has four essential pillars to it, which which I'll just go over quickly. The first is ergonomics. And when we talk about ergonomics, you know, it's a fascinating thing to look back through the history of saddles and to see how saddle trees have morphed over the past 150, 200 years. At a point in the mid-1800s, saddles were clunky, they were heavy, they were wood, but there was a certain ergonomic sense to them you know they the people who were making these wooden trees that sat on horses back knew something about the shape of a horse's back so if you look at look at many of those older saddles there's a curvature to them there's a um, there's a shape to them that is that corresponds to the shape of a horse's back many of the modern saddles don't have that they're full of straight lines and right angles which is not what What horses need. So, ergonomics is the first thing, finding the shape of a horse's back. And again, we're going to the shape of a horse's back in dynamic motion. So, that's pillar number one. Pillar number two is the ability of that piece of equipment to move sympathetically with the horse's back. So, that means, you know, if you look at the horse's back and it's complication, you've got to engineer something that has you know, many, many um, axes of flexion and those axes of flexion have to differ from the back of the saddle all the way to the front as a horse's movement changes. So we've done a lot of work with with geometry, with carbon fiber, with tuning uh, to get a saddle that has very complex capabilities of following a horse's motion. If I can just articulate that a little bit more, no one has ever, to my knowledge, broken down exactly what a rider has to do to sit on a horse beautifully. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe, maybe some of your listeners have, but yeah. you know, nowhere have I read you know, that you have to move this muscle in your hip exactly right. this amount at this time to follow this motion of sitting a horse. And that has to be coordinated with another motion in your lower back. It's way too complicated. You know, the you take the 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 rider's pelvic area and say, you know, cause this to sit on a horse's back in motion without moving. You know, that's complicated. It's the same thing with a saddle to try to get that kind of complicated motion in is it it, it's it's a task. We've been at it for 25 years. Um, but I think that we've nailed it. The third pillar is trying to get that motion that you put in the, in the, in the saddle to be the same from ride number one to ride number 5,000. That's a little bit of a trick, you know, because it can't be something that starts off uh, being moving just the right amount and then gets looser or weaker over time. It's got to be dialed in and then it's got to stay there. Okay. And then the RX portion of it, which is the fourth portion of it, which is totally new is this electromagnetic phenomena that we were not looking for it arrived it was a gift from above and and we've been we've been trying to understand it trying to work with it it's you know it's it's as if you someone all of a sudden discovered electricity for the first time and then you're saying well you know how do i how do i put this how do i put this into work you know what right. what can it do for me there? What what kind of wires do I have to send this, this new source of energy through? How does it need to be insulated? What does it need to do in order to work in a motor? You know, it's been no less complicated than that because it is a form of energy. It's an right. electromagnetic field that has some kind of sympathetic or compatible relationship with horses and humans. It's the most fascinating thing I've ever seen. And you know it happens without batteries, without wires, without magnets, without anything. So you incorporated that
2: into the saddle, the electromagnetic.
1: It it, it, well it was a result of it was a result of the materials that we were using in order to create a better biomechanical model. In other words, we 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 selected these these materials, one of which is carbon fiber, and we we had to we had to really develop a process to get the carbon fiber and this other material to, to bond correctly. And the result of that process was the creation of this electromagnetic field, which, you know, we, we couldn't, we couldn't, we had no idea what it was. And yet we kept noticing that when we put the saddle on horses, they would just relax and they would become, you know, if they were agitated, you brought the saddle, Towards them, and they were, you know, uncomfortable with the idea of having a saddle put on them. You put them on the, the saddle on them, and they would just chill out and they just relax. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've done a lot of figuring what this is out um, over the past four or five years, and and have a great deal of confidence in it because it responds to very specific laws, very specific rules. You know, it's 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 just like any other um phenomena if you if you invest the time you understand it there are certain laws of nature if you will that that apply and you have to follow the rules and follow the laws and then it become it becomes something that's totally reliable and predictable and and horses and people respond to it remarkably well and it seems to be extremely consistent in 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 how it impacts both horses and people.
2: It sounds absolutely amazing. Now, since we're running out of time, I don't want to miss out on the opportunity to tell people where they can go to learn more, ask you questions, see the saddles on the website. They sure. come in jumper and dressage. So where can people go? What's the website?
1: So we have we have two things. And we have um, TadCoffinSaddles.com, which is our website for saddles. Okay, And then we've taken the same technology. And put it into a non-riding therapeutic device called the Tree. So think of therapy, but this is Thera, T-H-E-R-A hyphen tree, theratree.com. And you can, you know, uh, you can get a lot of information on the, on the, what the technology does. And anybody who has questions, my cell phone number is on both websites. Anyone is welcome to call me. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate Thanks. about what it is that we do. And I am very grateful to you for giving me this opportunity to give the um, give a little dissertation on it. You can you can sense that there's a lot to it, which there is. Uh, you know, this is not a gimmick. Um, it's it's uh, some pretty extraordinary science. And it's really um, it's really going to change a paradigm. Four horses going forward, and we're very excited about that.
2: Well, I think it's amazing, and your passion for it is uh, you can't doubt it. And I think it's incredible, and I'm excited to, you know, potentially give it a try. So, you guys check it out tadcoffinsettles.com, thera tree.com. And um, I mean, my God, Tad Coffin will give you a cell phone number. So, there you go, give him a call. <laughs> Fantastic, Mr. Coffin. Thank Perfect. you so much for coming on and, and talking to us about it. And we look forward to seeing you in the Billy and Blaze movie. Uh, Would you play in Billy's grandfather?
1: Yes, it was hard for me to go from being wanting to be Billy to being Billy's grandfather. But,
0: you know, <laughs> that's all, hard for us with, all, Ted. With, with all it's hard for us and, all.
1: <laughs> grace and humility. <laughs> I get <laughs> but that. We, we're we're really looking, we're really looking forward to it because it's a it's a beautiful story. Uh, oh, we can uh, Thank you, Ted. Great, very uh, good. Take well, care. thanks, Thank thanks to Merry both of Christmas. you. Christmas. Thank All you right, take care. All right,
0: bye-bye. You bet, bye now. There and you go. The he knows more My about God, you- saddles and horses movement than you and I will <laughs> ever know in two lifetimes.
2: He's just amazing, and you can just tell. I mean, this is so. This is his. You know, you think people winning the gold medal would be their life work, right? You know, no. His life work is to to improve saddle technology, and uh, it's not cheap. But I wouldn't think it would be with the twenty five years of research and science. They they have science that has proven all of this, so you can definitely check it out. It's really cool,
0: and the website's really cool too. I mean, it uh, has a lot of pictures. Really explains everything, uh, just like he did right there yeah so awesome all right very cool and we did talk about the billy and blaze movie that uh if you just search billy and blaze movie you'll find it uh, we had somebody on a little while back talking about that elizabeth was on talking about that movie so he's part of that he plays a grandfather and apparently helped with all the horse stuff in it of course you know the training of course and the, yeah all of that and uh, it's really so cool funny. to hear what he had to say about monty huh uh that was pretty yeah
2: cool. oh gosh it's Somebody needs to take that and cut it out and and write that down because that was absolutely beautiful and that's all the things Monty would love he for somebody him to say genius. about it. So, well, he is a genius.
0: That makes you <laughs> the student of a genius.
2: I know. Well, that's why I'm a student. Like you guys, I don't, I don't do stuff that I don't believe in. Just like okay, you know, ta- hold it. Stop. What?
0: Did everybody in the listening audience expect us to say? Of course. That's because I'm a genius. That's the line I was waiting for. I was shocked you didn't no. say it. Cuz no. everybody in the audience was expecting that line.
2: Yeah, no, well, okay, well We already all know that.
0: Yeah, that's right. It's a given.
2: It's obviously We don't a have
0: given. to say it. Thank yeah, you. that's right. <laughs> All right, let's do a product <laughs> review, and we're going to come back. We have a, some crazy lists, and you know, for all of you who loved Peggy Rowe in Radiothon, that was only a portion of her interview. We have the entire interview for you later in the Before show. Before
2: that, though, I have a special surprise for you, Glenn. A special surprise for you, Jimmy, and I have cooked up something beautiful for you uh,
0: today. No, you didn't.
2: Oh, yes, boy. we did. We have a surprise. Right, well, for we you. have I to listen to the. We
0: have to listen to the review first, and then that would give me time to leave the building.
5: No, it's good. You're going to love it. This is like a crisp surprise. One of our faithful auditors takes some time out of their day to sit down and talk about a product that they got from horselovers.com and gave a thorough test. They're going to let us know what they love about it, maybe what they hate about it, and uh, what they think others should do with it. So Chelsea Seavers is here with me today. Hello, Chelsea. Hi, Jen. So uh, what part of the country are you in? And tell me a little bit about your horsey self.
7: Yeah, I am calling today from Madison, Wisconsin, and I'm a driver. So I drive Welsh ponies.
5: Oh, and you recently posted a picture or a video of you driving two of your ponies?
7: Yeah, in the auditor group. In the auditor
5: group. And they're super cute and they look lovely. And were you (laughs) wearing your Noble Outfitters
7: Thermo Thin Socks when you were doing that? Not on that day, but I have busted them back out recently because uh, up here in Wisconsin, we've had a couple nights in the 40s now, so it was time to bust out the thermo-thin socks, uh, you know, especially, and it's been raining up here, too, so that cold and wet, these socks have been perfect for that kind of weather. Uh, they're actually like a sticker on the bottom part, So, like, the area where your toes are and your heel are a little bit warmer and thicker, but they kind of taper as they go up through the ankle, and then they are thinner on the top over your calf, so they still fit really nicely into, like, a boot or a tall boot. Um, So warmth without the bulk is definitely um, one of the big benefits of these.
5: So this is a proper fitted sock, not those old-fashioned puffy tube socks that you used to get at the farm and garden store?
7: No, not at all. And not even one of the kind of amorphous, like, wool socks either. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the kind we bust out when it's, you know, negative 20. Those socks have a purpose, but uh, these are are much more uh, modern socks. So they actually have um, that, like, little bit of binding that goes over the arch of your foot. Mm -hmm. So it keeps them from kind of sagging or from falling down. Um, and then they're like a tiny bit thinner over the top of your foot too. So you don't have that kind of bulk on top that bunches up around your toes. Nobody likes bunchy socks.
5: No, no, not at all. So you've had these for a little while. So you've had a chance to wear them and wash them. How are they holding up?
7: They are holding up great. They have a cat hair on them at the moment (laughs) because my cat's sitting on my lap. Um, but they've held up really well. Yeah. I think I've had them for quite a several months now. Um, So they've definitely been through most of last um, spring and starting this fall now. And yeah, they have held up really well. No holes. They've washed really nicely. Definitely not wearing, not wearing holes into them or anything. Um, And the tops are really nice. You know, sometimes with that thinner material, it's like they want to snag all the time, but these definitely haven't. Very good.
5: Now, what size did you get, and did they fit as expected, or did they run big or small?
7: I believe I have the smaller size, um, or I have the medium size. I think they come in large or medium. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think I have the medium, um, and I have really small feet or smaller feet. Like, I wear about a shoe size 7, and they fit me great.
5: There we go. So they're
7: appropriately
5: sized for ladies. The Noble... Outfitters Thermo Thin Sock available at horselovers.com, horselovers with a Z.com, as we record this review for $9.95. So very reasonable and a great grift idea. And thank you, Chelsea, for coming on and doing a product review with us.
0: Thank you, Jennifer. Appreciate that. Now, Horse Lovers does continue to have their coupon codes for us, uh, for our listeners only, exclusively. So if you purchase uh, anything from Horse Lovers with a Z... If it's $49 or more, use the coupon code RADIO and you will get a free Mrs. Pasture's cookie, uh, one of their special Christmas stockings, cookie stockings. We've all seen those, and that's an exclusive for us. If it's over $99, use the coupon code HRN and you'll get $10 off your order instantly. I know a lot of you are buying blankets and all different kinds of stuff right now. So uh, those are the coupon codes now available for horse lovers. And uh, are we doing Loser of the Week next? Um, let's see. Why don't you do? No, let's let's let's
2: Jimmy. Do you want to do our surprise for Glenn?
8: I am dying to see how sweaty he gets with this.
0: Yeah, I should have left the building (laughs) because it's
2: amazing. It's going to be wonderful. You're going to be so happy. I have a special (laughs) phone number for you to call and you just we're just going to call it live on the air. They won't get upset that they're live on the radio and they won't get upset that I'm giving out their phone number. Is and this a anybody porn else? Line, is this.
0: this like a phone sex line?
2: We are not calling a phone sex line again. Darn. This is
0: something
2: that is very,
8: <laughs> very sorry. It's sorry. Half our disagree. listeners just dropped off from disappointment. <laughs> I know.
0: <laughs> Jennifer went to get. Hey, I'm safe. Um, uh, so, so uh, you're not going to
2: get in trouble for having this number on your nine, your credit card. Okay, it's this is <laughs>
0: against my better judgment. Okay, so I'm just putting that out there. Why trusting. are you scared? Because you I know me? I don't trust either one of you, to be honest.
8: By the way, that whole line about this being against your better judgment. Yeah, I'm clipping that out for later. <laughs> I feel like it could come in <laughs> handy.
0: <laughs> All right, what are we doing? This
2: is going to be wonderful. It's
8: it's for the
2: holidays. So I'm it calling a phone number that live. Jemmy and I thought you needed to hear. Okay, okay. call this number. Uh, ready? All
0: right. 8 Hold on. Write this down. Hold on. Hold on. Okay, I'm ready. 833 833- Okay. 249
2: 249- mm-hmm. 0483
0: Okay, so 833 249 Are we allowed to give this number out, by the way? I
2: yes, so. they don't care. They're so super happy to give it out. Okay.
0: Hmm.
2: Everybody's going to want to call, too.
0: Okay, here we go. It's
3: beautiful. It's a
2: holiday message. Hmm. Wonderful.
3: Happy Just- heartwarming, fair caller. It is I, Princess Celestia, ruler of Equestria, and part-time holiday switchboard operator, The holidays are a magical time in Equestria. Is this my
0: little pony or cute little pony or whatever the hell?
3: Exchange the best gifts they can find. To speak with (laughs) a pony of your choosing, please select from the following options. If you'd like to hear from Princess Twilight Sparkle, press (laughs) 1. For Rarity, press (laughs) 2. For Applejack, press 3. For Fluttershy, press 4. Almost done. Here you go. For Rainbow Dash, press five. That's the only
0: one I know the name of.
3: And last, but certainly not least, my favorite for Pinkie Pie, press six.
0: (laughs) Pinkie (laughs) Pie's your favorite.
3: If (laughs) you wish for me to repeat these choices, (laughs) press Press zero. I wish you the best heart-swarming ever, Faircaller. It's not
0: working. I'm pressing six. I'm pressing oh, six, honest to God. You jerk.
2: <laughs> Did you hang up on Princess Celestia? Happy
0: heart Faircaller. I didn't. It's it not working. I, Princess <laughs> Leave it to my little pony not you to can't. work.
3: And part-time holiday switchboard operator. <laughs> she
0: knows you. The <laughs> holidays
3: are a magical time and she's like,
2: like
0: not oh, Too bad go we couldn't get I- through. Oh,
2: no! sorry. No! <laughs> You hung up on Princess Celestia. I wanted to talk to Pinkie Pie, and I have to call her later. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) Oh my God. That was great. (laughs) What age
0: kid is this, by the way, that likes My Little Pony? Uh, If we rule out all the brony community. I mean, kids.
8: I mean, it is for children of all ages, Glenn. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) <laughs> Glitter never dies, Glenn.
0: <laughs> Rainbow Dash Please is in my heart. tell forever. me your little twi- taekwondo, tough little <laughs> six-year-old named Jojo never watched My Little Pony.
8: Um, would it surprise you if I told you he has two My Little Ponies? Oh, God. <laughs> oh. I mean, they were McDonald's toys, but they still count, right? He still wanted them.
0: God, <laughs> corrupting children of our youth. <laughs>
2: Jemmy, the movie, by the way,
8: Lucas insisted we go on opening day. I remember that. I remember that. You did an awkward interview, I think, with some other kid outside. The children
0: are doomed. They're all doomed. (laughs) Man, you are one pathetic loser. And that's probably what's going to happen to all of them. They're going to (laughs) become pathetic losers. There is a pathetic loser of the week. His name is Douglas Holly. Douglas Holly is our pathetic loser of the week. Now, something very bad happened to Douglas that we can all relate to and feel bad about. Douglas lost his horse. He, uh, apparently, the horse had a terminal illness. He colicked, wasn't going to be saved. He called the vets, Robert and Tracy Hewlett, and they went out there and uh, Douglas agreed to have the horse euthanized. Well, you know, we all feel terrible. We've all had that happen. We all feel terrible at the time, but, Most of us move on with our life. Douglas couldn't. This just aided him. It really did bother him, and he blamed the veterinarian because his orge collapsed, and the vet couldn't save him. So he took a rather drastic step. Uh, Robert and Tracy uh, decided to go away for a little while. They went to Australia, and they came back, and the first night they went to bed, a very... (laughs) Unfortunate thing happened because as they were lying in bed, apparently they couldn't sleep because of the time change and everything, and the bed blew up. Douglas put a they bomb worked. under the bed. What? While they were what? gone, he came into their farmhouse and he put a bomb. Under Wait their a bed, a pipe. Bomb. How is
8: this not a Florida story? I don't understand. <laughs> I know. It's is not.
0: This. I, it wasn't in Florida. I did look. I forget where it was, actually. <laughs> I think it was Texas or somewhere. So, so like the, only reason I, the only reason I'm bringing this up, we don't normally do bad stories. Now they're in bed with three small dogs and a cat. They were trying to get back to sleep when they heard a boom. There was a big flash of light, and both of us went flying. My husband flew over top of me onto the floor. Sheets, blankets, quilts, and pets flew into the air. The only thing that saved them was they had an extra thick mattress, and that absorbed the bomb's force, and apparently the floor absorbed the other part of it, and nobody was hurt. Can you North believe Northwest
2: Louisiana.
0: Oh, there you go. Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> Seth, veteran Florida.
8: <laughs> was he trying to take the whole family out after yes. grieving? Yes. Is that what it was? Yes.
0: He oh was God, really pissed her, that see. the vet didn't save his horse. This is really not the way to handle that, people. I'm just saying.
8: So he... Oh.
2: Pl- uh, 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 can I get to read the last sentence? I just looked up this story. And he has been sentenced to 105 Five years. years of jail for planting a pipe bomb under the bed. Attempted murder. As yeah. Attempted murder.
0: Yep. Wow. 105 In, like, years. He'll never own a horse again, so that's for sure. Yeah, right. <laughs> and I hope that's they don't horrible. put him in the horse program at the at the prison. He doesn't deserve that. No. Do I, you
2: think a big loser? That room. do you think that the 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 now. The veterinarian refuses to euthanize like, horses. <laughs> you know I'd what?
0: Quit, <laughs> I'd quit my job. That'd be it. I'm out. <laughs> I'm done. I
8: thought you were going to say the bomb. he put the bomb under the vet's bed. That's, that's a plot. That's twist. what he did. That under his, that's oh, what he did. No, I thought he it put it was, it, under, I
0: thought it was his own. No, bed. he put that's it under the understand. vet's bed. So when the oh, vet came home with his wife, uh, that I first. Confused about that. My yeah, dad. so apparently he knew the vet was on vacation, came into the house while the vet was on vacation, and put Uh-oh. the bomb under. It must have been, he must have known something about bombs. You would not have to know how to set it off at a certain time or spring load it or something.
8: It is God. creepy how much stuff like that is on YouTube. Uh, <laughs> it's
0: true. But, but, but don't Google that. Jemmy's been researching. They
2: will. <laughs> not use that. They will, somebody will see what you've been Googling. Don't Google that.
0: On a yeah, friendlier note, <laughs> he's definitely the loser of the week. And, uh, you know, 105 years, that's a long time in jail. Um, but don't, like,
2: when a bomb goes off, don't people, like, cover themselves with a the mattress in the movies anyway? Like, what a dumbass. Well, I like, can, you put the well, bomb I, underneath, a, it was like, a the pipe shield. bomb,
0: so it's not like, you know, it was a military hand grenade, probably. So, but still, a bomb went off in your living room. As a vet, you're going to be a little under leery about bed. working every again.
8: Well, it's kind under- of. Under- had yeah. kind of better than the scene from The Godfather. That would have been awful. To yeah,
0: exactly. You know, that <laughs> scene disturbs every horse person. I think every person <laughs> ever lived.
8: Um, Jemmy, you're fired. We don't
2: talk about that scene on show. <laughs> My bad, my bad. I mean, know your audience, Jen. <laughs> All
0: right, let's go on with something a little Jesus. cheerier. Uh, and that is my crappy list of the week. And, of course, we have to do something that is Christmas-related, and I usually do something that's not horsey, although this has a horse in it. It's the 10, are you ready? The 10 most expensive toys ever sold. How about, and I'm sure you guys would be interested in these. I, I'm sure you will. Um how about and they're 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 more expensive than tad saddle or any other saddle you're gonna buy in the world or most horses. <laughs>
2: so these are things that I would never have even considered buying.
0: No, how about okay. I don't know. Would you have bought a Stefano Canturi Barbie doll that's diamond encrusted?
2: Who's Stefano Cantori? I have
0: no idea. It must be a diamond person. It's called the Diamond (laughs) Barbie, and it's the world record holder for the most expensive Barbie ever sold. It was sold at Christie's Auction for $302,000. Wow. How about this? How about a gold rocking horse? Yep, it's a gold rocking horse. It was made of wood, and they uh, covered it in gold. And they sold it for $600,000.
2: Oh, uh, that's crazy!
0: <laughs> Guess who bought it? Who? Jay Z and Beyonce bought it. Oh,
2: I was gonna say uh, it had to be a Kardashian or Beyonce. <laughs> yes,
0: that's right. Six hundred thousand uh, dollars. How about a Rubik's cube? Now you'd say, well, Rubik's cube is pretty cheap. They normally sell for two ninety five. Well, this one's a little bit different. Rubik's cube. It is gold, emerald, amethyst, and ruby encrusted. Uh, all of the little blocks on the different sides have different color stones, and they have, like, 50 different stones in all the little blocks.
8: Well, you know what, though? You know the old trick of switching the stickers? This actually makes it a whole heck of a lot more fun, because now you're popping off jewels. <laughs>
0: Great! <laughs> Spoken like a truth thief. Um, so, so this, this is, this was made to commemorate Rubik's Cube's 15th founding anniversary, and was priced at 1.5 million dollars.
2: Okay, I have the answer of who Stefano Cantori is. Guess, yeah,
0: is he a jeweler? I assume.
2: Well, that's why we didn't know who it was because. Um, if, to raise money for breast cancer research, the Mattel hired Australian jeweler Stefano Canturi to make a Barbie to be sold at auction, and he actually used real diamonds, white and pink diamonds, and the Barbie is blinging out with is, some yes. jewelry on. I mean, <laughs> really rings is. and necklaces, and that's crazy. Time. It took six months to make. <laughs>
0: All right. And I'm sure all of you have $300,000 worth of jewelry in your...
2: Dude, if only I could have that Barbie doll, my life would be complete.
8: (laughs) Melt that thing down. (laughs) Oh,
0: no. No, no. I mean, I used to be, when I was a kid, your life would be complete with the next one. I used to be, when I was a kid, I loved Monopoly. I actually played in a Monopoly tournament. I was that geeky. (laughs) Now you know God. how I got Glenn the name. really earned your name. Okay, wow. I, that's, now you know how I got <laughs> oh the name. People say, God. how do I get the name? Well, that's how I got the name. Well, <laughs> how about a golden Monopoly board? It was, um, it was completely gold. It was 18-karat gold Monopoly board. The, gold, the board was covered in gold uh, and sold for $2 million. That's
2: one Jeez. heavy-ass Monopoly box right there.
0: How about a Louis Vuitton teddy bear? Isn't that the purse person, Louis Vuitton? They make purses. Okay. Well, um, Louis Vuitton and Stife, the teddy bear company, got together and they made this teddy bear, which has high quality material and workmanship. Well, you would hope, um, and it was sold at it's really auction. Really
2: poorly made. It looks, <laughs> by the way, oh, Mars, as soon as you get home.
0: It looks like a it looks like a Stiff teddy bear that is covered in a Louis Vuitton purse coat and a Louis Vuitton hat. Nothing really special. It's all brown. Two point one million dollars. What? How about a Shamansky? And I assume Shemansky is another jeweler. Or something. Uh, Shemansky soccer ball, diamond encrusted soccer ball for $2.5 million. It's diamond studded the whole way around. I mean, a ton of diamonds. What do you do with that? I don't, you don't play <laughs> soccer with it. That's for damn sure.
8: So long. By <laughs> the way, I was wondering: the Monopoly game? Did they just put in real money at that point? Why don't you just put it? Just put in <laughs> exactly, real money, right? Exactly.
0: Exactly. <laughs> just very curious. <laughs> exactly. Okay, and now number one. I'm going to skip to number one because we're running out of time. It is an Astolot who I assume also is a dollhouse or is a diamond maker or something, a jeweler, an Astolat dollhouse castle. It is officially the most expensive dollhouse in the world with a price tag of $8.5 million. It's said to be so expensive due to its structure itself and boasts the finest engineering, architecture, sculpting, and it looks like it's also covered in diamonds.
2: So that's one upping my Harry Potter Hogwarts Castle Lego set that I got Lucas for
0: Christmas. It is, it is.
2: (laughs) (laughs) And I thought that was expensive. (laughs)
0: Apparently this is in glass at some museum. Uh, I hope it's in glass. So yeah, there you go. The most expensive gifts. I'm sure you will be putting that on your Christmas list this year.
8: I'm going to get shopping right now. I got to (laughs) go. Well, I'm we're expecting ge- that Rubik's Cube Glenn, just okay. so you know. All right, yeah. I know you're a
0: geek too. Um, I, I want the uh, I want the Monopoly board. I haven't played Monopoly in a while. I was not <laughs> so geeky, except in the tournament, that we ever figured out what the interest was on in the properties. I think you have to be a total nerd to go that far into the Monopoly game. Just saying. That's, I'm trying to redeem myself a bit.
2: Move on. So, move, move past it. Talk, so talk ne- Peggy never Rowe, talk about that again.
0: Peggy <laughs> Rowe was our lead guest. <laughs> our lead guest for Radiothon, of course. Uh, Mike Rowe's mother. She was a horse girl and an av- absolutely wonderful interview, but we had to cut like seven minutes of the interview out to get it fitted into Radiothon, so we really wanted to share the whole interview because she goes more into Mike and, and the whole growing up thing, and the neighbors and her mom and everything. So uh, here is the whole Peggy Rowe interview for you from Radiothon. If you heard it before, listen again, because you're going to hear a lot of tidbits you didn't hear before. Uh, we just had a we had a wonderful time with her, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, Jamie, you're going to cut out. I know you have to go back. Your bag You have to go back to Nail. Uh nails and and putting the roof on your barn. I'm sure you're gonna be up there on the ladder helping out.
3: I
2: gotta stop you for one second because you said that you were a uh, Monopoly fans. So I was just thinking, what a good Christmas present to get you would be
0: the gold obvious monopoly board for two million dollars. Uh,
2: a My Little Pony Monopoly game. <laughs> And so I thought, well, I wonder if they please have Please do it. Please do it, please. Um I love Glenn, and I think that that's the perfect present. And I want you to close your eyes and envision a My Little Pony Monopoly game coming to your house they because I'm not one, paying $70 for a, My, for a Monopoly game. It's God not going to happen.
0: They are a licensed print money, My Little Ponies, aren't they? They're just a licensed print money.
2: They just print it. Just know that Amazon's choice. It is oh, this one's on sale for sixty nine ninety three. That's, That's more not gonna than the have horsey
0: one. Monopoly game.
2: If it was twelve dollars, it would be at your door, Chris, this
0: morning. Okay. <laughs> so just g- know
2: that in my heart, you have a gag I gift you. price limit. Ah, uh, yeah, and it's not. <laughs> it's somewhere under seventy dollars, <laughs> apparently. <laughs>
0: All right. Thank you for joining us, everybody. Hey, we have a jam-packed show for you tomorrow. The Driving Radio Show uh, is tomorrow. We recorded it earlier in the week. We have like 12 guests. It is jam-packed and a lot of fun. And then Friday's Really Bad Ads. We have a lot of terrific, really unique prizes for Really Bad Ads this month. So get your ads into Jennifer at horseradionetwork.com. I will be coming to you live on Friday from Boynton Beach. I'll be at Jimmy's house. Uh, down there for awesome. our adventure Yay. for Finding Florida. So I'll be down there at her house doing the show. So we'll look forward to talking to you then. Uh, and here is the full interview with Peggy Rowe. Well, hi, Peggy. Thank you so much for joining us on our holiday special today.
6: Good morning. It's my pleasure, I assure you. I hear that you talk a lot about horses, and and I'm excited.
0: All we talk about is horses every day on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
6: (laughs) Where were you when I was growing up?
0: (laughs) (laughs) You have—I read the book yesterday, and you have the— Story of every teenage girl that's now listening to this show that is now a little bit older. They all grew up wanting a horse. Their family wasn't involved in horses. And then all of a sudden, you, you know, they something happens that the dad goes, oh, I better get this girl a horse. And th- you grew up that way. That was your story.
6: You know, from the time I was born, I think I was born with a passion for horses because... I galloped around the neighborhood. We, we lived in, um, in a suburban neighborhood, um, and I galloped through the neighbor's yards mm-hmm. and over the, over the ditch in front of the house, and I jumped the birdbaths, and it was all about horses. I really, I think I thought I was a horse for the first four years of my life, <laughs> um, and it was difficult for my parents because, as you said, they were not involved with horses at all. No, There's
2: just something thoughts, that happens uh, to to us as women that girls that are born with this bug of horses, and I, I come from a very non-horsey family too. And I was born with that same thing, just born loving horses. And my parents, where did this come from? So you kind of had that experience as well, huh?
6: Oh, I certainly did. And you know the thing is, I I did not have access to an actual, real horse for many years. Uh, I guess I was about maybe ten um, when I had my first experience on a real horse. And as I say in my book, it was a more spiritual experience than church could ever have been. <laughs> <laughs> it was as though I, it was as though I was born to be on this horse. Um, it it was wonderful. It uh, was that like the Chico? culmination of all my dreams. It was. Yeah. Oh,
0: you did read I the did book. I did read the, I'm the book, Your First Ever <laughs> Pony, Chico.
6: <laughs> yeah, Chico was a cow pony. And he was very gentle, a perfect beginner horse. And um and I just loved him with all my heart.
0: I, there are pictures, Jamie, in the book of, of Peggy in her little cowboy boots and her little cowboy skirt. I mean, it was it was everything, uh, cowboy back then. That was so cool. And then tell us about your first two horses that you actually owned. When your dad decided that boys were going to become a problem, he decided horses needed to come into the picture. So, <laughs> like...
6: He decided that horses were the lesser of the two evils, and um, he arranged for me to meet uh, an old friend of his he hadn't seen in years, but Bill had horses. Bill was somewhat of a character, but he volunteered for the Humane Society in Baltimore, and he he had a stable filled with um, abused horses, formerly abused horses, and he took them in. He loved them. He cared for them. His facility was not state-of-the-art, but these horses were loved and fed. And, of course, I fell in love with a big old gray part-percheron horse uh, that had been named Jet, J-E-T, because when he was born, he was Jet Black. I was was going to
0: ask about why Gray got the name Jet. You know, that doesn't usually happen. Exactly.
6: Exactly. And through the years he did um, he did turn practically white, but he was kind of a a dapple gray for a while and then a flea bitten gray and uh, towards towards the end he he was white. But anyway, um, I was allowed to go around to Bill's stable and help him take care of the horses, and I got to ride, and, as I said, I fell in love with Jet. He was my first love in my life my first true love. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure your your listeners can identify, they, what, but it was all about Jet.
0: They know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> no, no question about it. And then Shaker came into the picture too.
6: Yes. Um, my parents bought a place in the country, partially because of my passion, but partially because my dad had a business and there was a big, old bank barn on the on the property which he turned into his his shop and then he renovated a big old chicken house for my stable it was wonderful four roomy box stalls with a, a wide aisle it had electric it had water it was the answer to a dream i was in <laughs> <The answer>. paradise
0: <laughs> and you showed yeah, too i was, was surprised to read that you did some showing back then
6: I did, um, just locally. I joined the local, um, it was called the Corinthian Club. And um, I showed, and some of the shows I could ride to, and then uh, my old friend Bill had an old trailer, which we borrowed, and and trailered Jet too, but but back to Shaker. When we moved, I only had Jet. And so, of course, the neighbors took notice of one horse in the field, and there was a woman who lived nearby who had a horse... um, kind of elderly. I think Shaker was about 10 and she was looking for a good home for her Shaker, her beloved Shaker she'd had for years. So she asked if I would like to have him uh, as a stable mate for Jet. And of course I jumped at the chance. Shaker was beautiful. Um, He was just a lovely bay, standard bred and um, with a disposition Oh, that was just amazing. He was great for um for writing lessons for children in the neighborhood
0: <laughs>
6: you there
0: jamie in the book there's a there's one of my favorite chapters by the way. Uh, Of course, the whole book is pretty much about your mom. It's about Thelma. But uh, Thelma, by the way, uh, Jamie and I have this thing. I don't like baseball, and Jamie loves baseball. So we have a lot in common there, Peggy. Um, So so, so the one story in the book, and I can't wait for the listeners to read this story, is when mom comes knocking and says, I want to ride. And I couldn't tell from the way you wrote that chapter whether you were appalled that mom wasn't invading your territory, or you were happy that she was taking an interest? I couldn't tell.
6: I was appalled. My <laughs> mother was a take-charge person. <clears throat> she was in charge from sun up to sundown. She made all the decisions in our family, uh, all the important decisions, and believe me, if Mom wanted it, we had it. If Mom didn't want it, we didn't have it. So when she came to the stable one evening, I, I Remember the uh, scene in the book, I was doing some Spanish, studying my Spanish translation and I was lying back on on Jet's ample rump with my feet crossed on his mane And when my mother came to the stable door and um, she just announced that she had decided she was going to learn to ride. And I think the reason was she wanted to be a part of my world, but also she wanted to impress her friends and as she said none of my friends know how to ride so, <laughs> so she said you can teach me to ride on Shaker I, I've seen you doing it I know I can do it we can start tomorrow <laughs> so sure enough um, I gave her a few lessons and she was a quick learner um, I mean of course I thought she was ancient she was in her 40s <laughs> but she was a quick learner my mother could do anything she set her mind to so we <laughs> we had regular lessons and she would even accompany me on the occasional trail ride. Um she was all about dressing up. She she dressed up in my best boots and my best Jodfurs and um hat and, and and jacket and she just loved showing off. So so we would go riding um through the trails, but usually uh on plate. To places where people could see us, because she liked that. <laughs> I won't. I won't go into detail about that last ride unless you want me to. I don't know what kind of an audience Let, you
0: have. Let's leave. Let's leave that for the for the book. Um, I think that, well, let's leave some some mystery to that one.
2: <laughs> I can't wait to hear about it. Well, I was going to ask. So, when your did you have the I grew up, I had to have a responsibility and then you had to get out of horses for a while. Did you ever get back in horses or was this just strictly a childhood thing?
6: Uh, When we got married, we moved um, just across town. So we left our horses. I left my horses and then visited them whenever I had a chance. My dad was wonderful about caring for them. Um, we had a child, we had a baby, uh, who our oldest son, Mike. And when he was two years old, we bought a house. Well, the house happened to be next door to the, the home where I grew up. <clears throat> it was next door to my parents' place and they had maybe 17 acres. So, um, my husband is just such a trooper. He just rolls with the punches. And he he said, in no uncertain terms, I know why we're moving here. Because there's, there's room for horses. There's room for a pasture. There's a perfect, an ideal location for a stable. So sure enough, when our children, we had three sons. I taught school briefly and then had the great fortune to be able to stay home with our sons. And when I think Mike was about eight, uh, they were like eight, five, and three. <clears throat> um, my father and my husband built a wonderful stable, just, just a big square building with four nice box stalls back to back and a tack room. They fenced in um, a lovely paddock in the front. And then several acres in the back for pasture and later for a little outside course with jumps and so forth. So um, I still had my passion. And as the boys grew, I taught them to ride, but they never really shared my passion. Um, You know, it's more about girls are a little more into horses at that age, especially Mm -hmm. the teen years. Uh, but they would they would ride um, just to make me happy, I think. Uh, they would <laughs> jog through the woods with me. They weren't much for going around in circles, you know, for schooling a horse in a ring. That was just boring to them. <clears throat> but if we packed a lunch and rode through the woods, uh, they were all for that. That was fun.
2: That's wonderful to know that you had kids. I have a five-year-old son now and uh, my heart just is dying for him to want to ride with me. So the fact that you made it happen is, is a wonderful. And now obviously we all know who your oldest is because he has a podcast and we've talked about his podcast on here and we're all very big fans of uh, the way I heard it, but how, how is having boys, and horses how
6: did you make that work <laughs> well sometimes it worked to my advantage <laughs> um okay let me set up a little scene for you like <laughs> we say mom um sydney's having a party this evening and she's invited me and, and a lot of the a lot of the other kids can i go and so i would say Gee, Mike, let me think about it, hon. Let's take a ride through the woods and we'll talk about it. (laughs) I got him on a horse. (laughs) Um, Yeah. And uh, yes, but mostly they just did it to humor me. Um, But then there came a time when um, they noticed girls. So from time to time, they would bring a girl around Mm -hmm. and get on a horse to impress her, you know.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, Or if
6: if she liked yeah, or if she liked horses oh yeah come on well I'll, I'll let you ride i'll let you ride a horse at my place so um you know we would we would go through that but by and large they did not really love horses ever the way that i did
2: so you could say you could say let's uh, i'll let you go to that
6: party after you
2: muck out all the stalls
6: that's right <laughs> oh <laughs> now that might have been a little bit of a stretch but I'll tell you, I, I did have a i did have a little riding school for um, some time and of course uh, my students were girls preteens and teens and I mean well they were the kind of kids that I was they were they would like uh, sneak I would see them sneaking a handful of molasses feed and sticking it in their pocket for later just to smell it <laughs> or to eat it uh, they would <laughs> they would stuff some straw into their pockets to take home maybe to put under their pillow they just loved horses. Well, next thing I knew, suddenly my boys were interested in horses. Um,
0: <laughs> Funny because how that works. There,
6: these <laughs> lovely, lovely teenage girls. Well, part of my program was not just riding lessons, but they groomed, they picked out their the horse's feet, they, um, they soaked saddles, um, and they cleaned stalls. It was just horse care and horse management all rolled into one. They would come and stay for hours, and it would culminate in a, in a riding lesson. So um, the boys did pitch in then. I mean, they actually picked up pitchforks and pitched manure. I <laughs> I they around. did.
0: <laughs> so I have to ask you, before we run out of time, obviously this is our holiday special. We're talking all about the holidays and Christmas. With uh, Mike, Scott, and Phil, did you guys have big Christmases? Was Christmas a big thing?
6: Oh, yes, it was. And we were very into our church. Um, We were very involved in our church. So, you know, church was a big part of our Christmas. But let me tell you about the Christmas I remember. Mike, I think, Mike was about eight years old. So the kids were like eight, five, and three. And we had just built our stable. I didn't have a horse yet. Um, My intention was to bring my old horses back because I was promised that that would happen. However, they both were deceased by the time time our stable was built. They lived good long lives, but they were fairly old by the time I got married. Okay, my oldest is eight years old. And so naturally, I gave him what I had dreamt of when I was eight. We bought a pony for Mike.
0: Oh, no. Mike had a pony?
6: I had, (laughs) well... I had such great expectations. Michael would be so excited and, oh my God, he would hug us and kiss us and thank us, you know, <laughs> till the cows came home. <laughs> so Christmas morning, uh, so we had gone and picked up little Tammy. She was a wonderful pony. She was across, um, let's see, she was across between a Shetland and um, a Welsh. And so she was, she was... I guess she was medium to small pony. And she had attitude and, for days, Yeah, <laughs> that's an attitude pony right there. <laughs> she, you know what? She had stamina, and she had a wonderful disposition. She, You could do anything with this pony. So the plan was that we were to bring... It was a cold, blustery Christmas morning. Oh, it was probably close to zero in Baltimore. <clears throat> so... My husband went out to the stable and led Tammy over to the fence, which was near our house. And the plan was that I would bring Mike to the window in our bedroom, open the curtain, and there would be Tammy and John because the kids were still in their pajamas. Well, I opened the curtain and there was Tammy with a big red bow on her forelock and just had been groomed you know, meticulously by me the night before. Mm-hmm. I opened the curtain and I said, Merry Christmas, Mike. Here's your own pony And he said, Oh, oh that's nice, Mom. That's really nice. Okay, let's go back to the tree. There's a little gift I have <laughs> oh, He just sure. was so <laughs> disinterested. I couldn't believe it. And of course, I mean I'm it's like I had given him a set of fine china. That's how he acted. <laughs> but later <laughs> Thanks, in the day, <laughs> we, did, we did all go out, and um, and he did um, help groom Tammy, and uh, he fed her, and he consented to get on her and ride her around. And, and he had the good graces to look excited, <laughs> uh, but his little brothers were more excited, so they all got pony rides and but anyway, that's the Christmas I most remember um, with horses.
2: <laughs> How disappointing!
6: That ungrateful son, son, of, son of yours, yours. yeah. <laughs> yes, well, but you know what? It led to wonderful things because you can't keep one pony or one horse. They they're hurting animals, and they really do need a, a stable pal. <laughs> so, of course, I had to get a stable pal, a really nice. Um, horse for me well,
2: so, of so that, yeah, that's, and then, yeah, that's what it led to <laughs> and then peggy what happens is like you've got tammy in the barn and then your horse and then you go for a trail ride well tammy's all alone so then you've got to get her a guitar friend for when you're riding your horse and then like you and michael riding and then the third horse is by itself in the barn like oh my gosh we have to get him one too so then you end up with the, at nice. least eight <laughs> i know how this <laughs>
6: well you know what um things did evolve and we ended up. <laughs> With four one for each stall, um, I, I don't like to keep horses inside all the time, and so I had two different pastures, so I could let them run in and out. Um, the ones that got along well together were on one side and the and the other two you know were on another side so it it worked well, but at the most, I had five, but one belonged to a neighbor nearby, so she lived with us for riding lessons and and so forth. And then she went home across the lane at night. So it did evolve to, to five, you know, but I have such wonderful <laughs> memories. And, it, uh, and when I was in my 50s, I developed arthritis. So I knew that when I could no longer mount without putting my horse into a gully and, and <laughs> mounting from the side, Um I did, I did give my last horse away Uh. and it was a sad time, but, and that's when I began writing for horse magazines and, um, you know, covering horse shows and, um, and, and writing stories about like the mounted patrol in Baltimore city. There are so many avenues to stay connected with horses. Sure. without yeah. actually and, and you found, riding and having one.
0: And you found a way. I mean, that's, I, I gotta be before we wrap here, I want to give another plug to the book. It's called About My Mother, True Stories of a Horse-Crazy Daughter and Her Baseball-Obsessed Mother. And for all you that are baseball-obsessed, my favorite chapter concerning that and your mom is called A Whole New Ball Game, <laughs> The Most Exciting Day of Mom's Life. We're not going to give any of that away because it's toward the end of the book, and Jamie, you're going to love that chapter. Um, I can't wait. Yeah, it was a baseball at a horse fan, you're going to love that chapter. This has been a thrill. Thank you so much for joining us and talking horses this morning. We really appreciate it.
6: I can't tell you how exciting I am. How (laughs) exciting this has been. I have been looking forward to this. Uh, This past week, I've had like 15 interviews, television and radio, This is the one I was really looking forward to. And and you did not disappoint.
0: Well, good. We're glad to hear that. that,
2: (laughs) The word is delightful. And that is what you are. And I cannot wait to read your book. And I I suggest everybody pick it up as a Christmas present. It was something that, you know, Mike helped you with. And I love watching and reading your text messages to him. Keep them coming. You seem on this interview so sweet, but she's salty too, (laughs) y'all.
6: She gets after her mom. I oh, well, I, I try to pick my audiences. Carefully.
2: <laughs> well, we know you are. Thank you so much. It has been an absolute delight to have you on and best of luck with the book. And I really would love to have you on again too, once uh, all the interviews calm down and come back on and we'll talk some more.
6: Oh, I look forward to it. And thank Wonderful. you Glenn and thank you Jamie. This has been this has made my day, my week and probably my year.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, well, Merry you, Christmas you. to you and the whole clan,
6: okay? Thank you and Merry Christmas to you.